not, so I'm going to preach an interesting sermon tonight. I think you guys will get a lot out of this. I'm going to go in a couple different directions, so just follow me. I'm going to deal with agreement, but I'm also going to deal with some things, a vision that Rick Joyner had that deals with spiritual warfare. And then I'm also going to deal with several other topics about agreement. And so I believe this will be extremely interesting. But as you look at this picture, I put this here for a reason. You have dark and you have light, but then you have this blending in the middle. You have to be really careful with what you're agreeing with. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because there's people out there that don't mean to, but they come into agreement with the wrong things. You can agree with the wrong people. You can agree with the lies of the enemy. You can come into agreement with a lot of negative things, but you can also come into agreement with the Lord and with his word and come into agreement with a lot of positive things. So let me kind of show you just a couple scriptures up front. Matthew eighteen nineteen. again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So you see there the power of unity, the power of agreement, and the danger of division. That's why I'm not going to sidetrack on this, but if you read Matthew 18, it talked about, you know, church discipline where leaders have to go and deal with somebody in private and then take witnesses that they don't listen and take for the church. And then the Lord said, you, if the ex- extreme situations, you have to excommunicate them. But this is what he said. It, as you read down, he says, whatever you bind, as you come together in prayer and you bind up the enemy, he's talking about binding. And then he says, if you'll agree, and what the Lord's saying there is a lot of the troubles you're going to face in the church world, if you'll bind the enemy, and if you'll really pray, it'll clear up. And that's important that people go back, maybe it's not in my notes, but maybe go back and read Matthew 18 and see what I'm saying. In context, the Lord Jesus was teaching that there's going to be issues you have to deal with. But if you'll bind up the enemy and you'll really pray, that a lot of these things will be cleared up. All right, that's a positive agreement. You're agreeing together. You're agreeing with the Lord in prayer. You're agreeing with his word. Two people agreeing in prayer on the same thing. And you're going to have answers. Now, here's a negative agreement. In 2 John 1, 9, Anyone who runs ahead and does not remain in the doctrine of Christ, that is one who is not content with what he has been taught, basically, does not have God. But the one who continues to remain in the teaching of Christ does have God. He has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, but diminishes or adds to the doctrine of Christ, do not receive or welcome him into your house. And do not give him a greeting or any encouragement. For the one who gives him a greeting, who encourages him and wishes him success, is unwittingly participating in his evil deeds. And the Lord gave me that scripture one time because there was somebody that was bringing some strange teaching, had a strange spirit. And um, I think y'all might remember that because I had to talk about something here, but I didn't come into agreement with it. I didn't feel good about things. I love them. And I bless him, and I dealt with stuff quietly behind the scenes, but I did not come into agreement. All right, so you see positive and negative agreement. Now, I'm going to read something, and I want everybody to really hear me. This is not in your notes, okay? This is a vision that Rick Joyner had back in 1993, and I have felt by the Holy Spirit, I felt very led to share, I think it was last week or the week before, where I preached on and I shared some of his vision he had in the final quest. All right, I encourage people to read that book. It's life-changing. This is a book called The Harvest. And it came out, I think originally came out in the late 80s. I could be mistaken, but this is the early 90s when he was getting a lot of this revelation. This was right before the great revivals started breaking out. And in this book, he, he prophesied the revivals, and he prophesied a lot of things that have actually, reading it now, have come to pass. But I wanted to share with you this vision because it shows the spiritual battle that's going on behind the scenes. And I think it'll be a blessing to you. So if you can give me your best ear, okay? He said, in August of 1993, I received a vision in which the church was represented by an island in the middle of the sea. This island contained many types of buildings, each of which I understood to represent a different denomination or movement. These buildings seemed to clash with each other architecturally as there were some that were extremely old next to also very modern looking ones and there was a war going on between many of the buildings and most of them looked like bombed out shells people were still living in buildings but most were starving and wounded now i'm going to continue reading 
But let me just say this. God laid on my heart many years ago, and my wife will attest to this, that to have a heart for unity. And we have gone the extra mile. And she'll tell you, we, I'm just saying this because it's the truth, but we have our church, and I'm so proud of you guys because you guys were part of this, helping to unify other churches in prayer, coming together with pastors. Even this last week, I had a, a pastor from another church in here, just the two of us praying together for revival. And we're not in competition with anybody, and we never have been. And we're not here trying to tear others down and, or anything like that. It's important because this is out there. Guys, when you get out of here, there's, there's stuff like this going on. You don't want to try to destroy and tear down other ministries. Even if you don't agree with them, pray for them because the Lord will take care of that. All right? And so anyway, here was what Rick saw. He said that there were two dark spirits that were over the island. So I picture in this like two huge like puppet masters, okay? They were over the island. One was named Jealousy and the other one Fear. And fear is not your friend. And jealousy is definitely not your friend. And they congratulated each other every time one of the buildings suffered damage or whenever people were wounded. I then saw two powerful and frightening spirits that were coming out of the sea. These became terrible storms. One was named rage and the other one lawlessness. They were stirring up the sea and causing great waves to crash on the island. Soon, the storms became so large that they seemed even more threatening to the island than the war. I felt that the people in the city had to be warned about these storms. Several watchmen were apparently trying to do this, but no one would listen to them. The people only argued about whether or not the watchmen should be trusted. And this was remarkable because anyone just looking up could clearly see the storms for themselves. However, they were so intent on arguing with each other that they would not look. <laughs> This is an accurate representation, guys, of things I've seen. These wars had left so many people wounded that hospitals were fast becoming the largest buildings on the islands. These hospitals were congregations or movements that had given themselves to healing the wounded. As the hospitals grew, they soon became the main targets of the other warring factions who had no respect for them as a place where their own wounded were being treated. As the war continued, even those who were not badly wounded had the appearance of phantoms or became grotesquely deformed from starvation and disease. Any building that grew or prospered became a target for that reason alone. Any building, um, time a building received a supply of food, it would attract people, it would become a target. And I began to think that even the tragic um, factional wars in Lebanon and Bosnia were as ruthless as this one, this was in the church. Even in the midst of this cruel battle, men were still trying to add to their buildings or to construct new ones, but it was futile. Anytime one building would start to rise, another building would begin to attack it and cause great damage. I was then shown many powerful leaders who were conducting the war. All of them had the same word written across their forehead, treachery. I was surprised that anyone would follow them. Now there was a remnant on the island. I saw that there were people who appeared as lights in every building. So every church and movement had a little group, a little remnant in them. These lights refused to take part in the fighting, but they spent their time trying to repair the buildings, nurse the wounded. Even though it was impossible to keep up with the damage or the wounded, they didn't stop trying. It was also apparent that each of these lights had the power to heal wounds, and the power was increasing as they worked. Those who were healed became lights just as they were. It was obvious that these individuals who were committed to healing the wounded um, were now able to do more than the hospitals because of the ruthless attacks against the hospitals. Understanding this, the hospitals dispersed and their people became like healing teams which spread across the island. There were also many small camps around the perimeter of the island. Some of these were involved in the war between the buildings and they seemed intent on trying to destroy all the buildings that they could and bring people into their camp. There were a few of these camps which were not involved in the war, and they too appeared as lights. These were also growing in authority. Um, two spirits over the city, and two storms that had intimidated by these small praying camps. Okay, they were also praying like intercessory camps that were in the media. I'm trying to go quickly through. People were praying, and that became a real threat 
to the spirits. Are y'all hearing me? That became a real threat to the spirits overhead was that the intercessors were praying. All right. There were multitudes of boats and ships all around the island that were waiting to enter the city as soon as the fighting stopped. Many of these boats were full of refugees from other wars, and many were wounded. And they also had ships bearing kings, presidents, and those who appeared wealthy and prosperous. They were all afraid of the storms, but they could not enter the city because of all the fighting that was going on. Then the Lord was standing and watching, and he was so glorious that I wondered why I had not seen him before, or why everyone in the city had not just stopped and worshipped him. To my amazement, nobody was able to see him. I then looked into the eyes. Here's what I wanted to get to. So I'm not going to read this whole thing. Okay, you get the idea here that there was war that was going on between God's people. There were spirits that were conducting the war. There were spirits that were stirring up storms. And people were trying to destroy one another. And Jesus was in the midst of it, but people weren't looking to him. Now here's what I want to get to. When, when Rick said he looked in the eyes of those that were involved in the fighting, he said their eyes were so bloodshot that I was surprised that they could see anything at all. But the blood in their eyes was not the blood of the Lamb of God, but it was the blood of Cain. I then wonder why the Lord did not stop the fighting, but seemed content to just watch. And I, he understood my thoughts. He turned and said to me, this is my church. These, um, these were the houses that men tried to build for me. I knocked on the door of each one, but they would not open to me. I would have brought peace because I will dwell, I will only dwell in a city of peace. I'm telling you, God will not move where there's a bunch of strife and fighting. All right, I'm going to skip down some of this. The people that were in need began to really cry out in desperation. Um, then it says this, slowly the, the storms began to die down, the tides receded, all the buildings were gone, but the individuals who were the lights in the buildings emerged and remained standing where the buildings once were. And the Lord who had been on the edge of the island moved to the center, and the Lord said, now I will build. And all of those who were lights started turning toward the Lord. And they turned and they became even brighter. And they all began to form this house of the Lord, okay? The ships and the boats began to land on the island and come in. And then here was the interesting part. I'm going to close with this part. When each ship arrived, the people that were on it led straight to the Lord. He looked into their eyes of each one and said this, If you trust me, you'll die for me. When each one said, I will die for you, the Lord immediately thrust a sword right through their heart. This caused a real pain in each one, but to those who tried to avoid it, it was obviously worse. To those who relaxed, it did not seem to hurt very much. These were taken to a cemetery with the word obscurity written over the gate. I felt compelled to follow them, and those who had been stabbed were checked in to make sure on that they were truly dead before they were buried. Some clung to life for a long time. I mean, those it takes some people a long time to be crucified with Christ, yeah? And others die more quickly. And those who were buried began to arise. Once they were buried, they began to arise out of this as lights, just like those had, who, who had survived the storm. And I noticed that they were not staying in the tombs um, a long time. Some even arose before those that were clinging to life were even buried. And when I first looked at the cemetery, it looked like a dreadful place. But the more that he realized what was going on, he realized it was actually a glorious place. I can't read all of this. If you want to read it, it's in a book called The Harvest by Rick Joyner. It's excellent. But anyway, once these people were crucified with Christ, the problems that were once there before seemed to fade. I think a lot of the problems in the church world is that people are not really crucified with Christ. They're not really dead to themselves. They still want what they want. When you've got a bunch of people that... He wants this, she wants that, that person wants something else, this person wants something else. You're going to have a lot of problems. But when you have a whole group of people that are crucified with Christ and they sincerely mean it from their heart, they say, Lord, we just want what you want. Every other problem seems to fade, doesn't it? But it struck me about the eyes. The eyes were bloodshot with the blood of Cain. It's like a spirit of murder. Wanting to destroy others. So I'm going to dovetail off that. And let me read Proverbs 6.16. Now as we're going headlong. 
you guys will look back at this one day and we'll talk about these times but we're going headlong into revival and a harvest and great change in the future and as we're doing that here's some warnings I feel that the Lord is wanting Proverbs 6 16 through 19 there are six things which the Lord hates now let me just stop here for a moment this is strong words in the Bible um, some translations say abomination when you're dealing with something the Bible calls an abomination or something that God hates you're dealing with the strongest words that can be used um, in the Bible okay so these are six things the Lord hates Seven which are an abomination to him. Oh, right, here we go. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly into evil, a false witness who utters lies, and the one who sows discord among the brethren. So let's go through this. You notice in the story that these people that were fighting... And they wanted to destroy others. They wanted to tear down others' ministries. That they had that blood of Cain. There's a, there really is. I know that some people won't understand this. But there really is like a spirit of murder behind these things. It's a hatefulness in people. That they despise others that they don't agree with or they don't understand. And they want to destroy them. And it's very important that you understand and I understand. That God has created all of us to be different. Not everybody out there is supposed to be anything like me, and I'm not necessarily supposed to be anything like them. But a religious spirit wants to make carbon copies and clones. And if you're not exactly like them, then they want to destroy because they really feel like it's of the devil. And so this murder in the heart, these eyes of Cain, wanting to divide God's people. So let's break down the six or the seven things that God hates. Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is a prideful look where people begin to look down on other people and see themselves too highly. They look at others that they don't agree with and they look down on them. And God says, I hate that. A lying tongue. Man, few things have brought destruction in God's kingdom more than gossip. Hello? Few things have been able to accomplish for the devil among God's people. The type of widespread destruction, splitting up relationships, causing really permanent damage to some churches that they never got over it, than somebody that had a lying tongue that was a gossip, a talebearer, a slanderer, and they misrepresented other people. The Bible says in the book of James that people's tongues can be lit on fire by the fires of hell. It's like an unholy anointing to begin to bring great destruction into God's kingdom into his peop- among his people. But gossip, tailbearing, going through, did you hear about this? You know, the Bible says that love, love covers a multitude of sins. If you really love people, then you'll keep your mouth shut about them and you'll pray for them. And you, whenever you hear people talk about it, say, you don't need to be talking about that. Be honest with you, it's none of your business. You know, it's, it's the truth. But, you know, if you love them and you really do, you don't want to be spreading stuff about them. You want to pray for them. And you want to, like, cover up the hurt and what they're going through. You don't want it talked about. You don't want them embarrassed. But a gossip will divide friends. Another thing is shedding innocent blood. Remember the people that wanted to kill Jesus in John chapter 6. He told them that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. And he didn't really explain yet the communion table. He was going to explain that later. But the people got so enraged and they, they were wanting to kill him. And Jesus said this, you are of your father the devil who is a murderer. And murder, a spirit of murder, is not just physically killing somebody. I'm talking about a spirit of murder. A spirit of murder at work through a person will desire the other person's downfall, will desire their destruction, that they're either their death or the death of their ministry. Are y'all hearing me? 
Also a heart that devises evil. These are people that are crafty in their own heart. They're always trying to get around the rules. They meditate upon evil thoughts. Also feet that run to do evil. Let me tell you something. You've got to be careful to hear a matter out. And, and let me warn you that any time that you feel pressured that you need to do something quick and you feel pressured into doing something, about 99% of the time it's the devil and you'll regret doing it. But to hear a matter out. How many people out there, and this is in the book of Proverbs. People need to read Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, all right. To hear a matter out because a lot of times people have their personal issues. And they get into a church and the Holy Spirit, as a master surgeon, begins to deal with their issues. Hello? And they don't, some people don't like that. I've, I had an interesting conversation even recently, and we were talking about this at Denny's, you know, with some friends, and they, we were talking about how they've noticed that, that there's a lot of people that just don't want to go all the way with the Lord. They really don't want to be totally crucified with Christ. There's things they don't want to give up. There's things they don't want to change, and because of that, they'll be in a church somewhere, and God's, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to deal with that in their life. And as they begin to be dealt with, instead of humbling themselves and embracing that sword of the Lord through the heart, so to speak, where, Lord, I just want to be crucified with you. It's no longer I who live, but you living through me. If there's something not right, please cut it out of me. Instead of having that heart, they get offended. And now they begin to speak against the pastor, speak against the church, and they leave offended and angry. And the whole time, God was trying to deal with their stuff. But they'll go out and they'll begin to run down the preacher, run down the church, run down the pastor's wife, run down the youth pastor, run down the worship leader, whatever. They're running people down. And those that are out there that listen to them, instead of saying, hey, wait a second, you know, I'm just hearing what you're having to say. Truthfully, you don't need to be talking about people anyway. We just need to let this go. You need to forgive and move on. Instead of giving them good advice... A lot of times they'll sit there and listen to him and encourage this. But if they had wisdom and would search the matter out and go to that church and ask them, hey, what, what really actually happened? They'll find that the person that's running around causing problems was actually the one that was in the wrong the whole time. But they don't hear a matter out. Now, I'm going to come back to this here in a moment. I'm sharing this because I'm going to talk about what you come into agreement with and be careful not to come into agreement with somebody else's offenses. So give me a moment. I'm getting there. And also the Lord says, you know, he says he, he hates haughty eyes, a lying tongue, you know, feet that run to do evil, etc. But it's interesting because now he's using a pronoun, so to speak, um, the one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, I don't know about you. I've got to live on this earth for a certain period of time. I'm supposed to be here, all right? And I don't want the Bible to say about me that God has some kind of hateful feelings toward me. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Does anybody else feel that way? <laughs> I want God to say he loves me, not that he has some kind of hate, hatred toward my um, actions and what I'm doing in my life. But the Lord says right here, he hates the one that sows division among the brethren. If you don't believe it, do a, a study in Hebrew because that's exactly what it says. So God has a hatred toward division, but he has a hatred toward those that sow division. And it's serious. This is strong, strong warnings in the scriptures. In Isaiah 14, there's an interesting scripture where the Bible um, Lucifer is talking about the I wills. I will ascend my throne, do this, that, and the other. And one of the things he says is he wants to take his throne above the other stars. Now, stars are other angels. And what Lucifer was saying was he wanted to exalt himself above his peers. Pride. And, you know, my wife and I have seen that a lot. Um, in the ministry where people, they, they pray about revival or whatever, but truthfully, they don't want real revival. 
they want God to just bless what they're doing so that they can be above others. We've seen a lot of that and seen a lot of people that self-promote, self-aggrandize me. You know what I'm talking about? They just want to um, lift themselves up and exalt. But there needs to be a humility. And having a heart to want to be above your peers is a wicked heart. And it, the description here goes back to what Lucifer said. He said, I will exalt myself above, above others. It's a prideful, wicked heart. So I'm saying that to kind of give you an idea that there is strong warnings about this. I read that prophecy or that prophetic vision that Rick had about the fighting that goes on among God's people, how their eyes had the blood of Cain. Um, they were not crucified with the Lord. They were trying to build up their own kingdom. Anybody they didn't agree with, they would try to destroy them and take all their members unto themselves. This is wicked. And basically, what I just read to you in Proverbs six sixteen through 19 is a pretty good description of what was going on in this vision. People had haughty eyes. They had murder in their hearts. So let me say this. What are you in agreement with? You can have a positive or a negative agreement. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? You know, Satan had entered the serpent. The serpent slithered up next to Eve. I'm sure that he waited till Eve was hungry to tempt her with food. And he's like, did God really say he's challenging God's words? He's making her promises that you will not die. It's interesting because even to this day, Satan is still trying to tell people in cults, you'll surely not die. He's promised them reincarnation or whatever type of immortality. You're not going to die. In fact, did God really say this? He's challenging God's word. How many times do you see that today? People, well, I don't know if I believe the Bible. Satan is challenging God's word to this day. And Satan even went so far as to say, you'll be like God. How many people out there want to be a God to themselves? Well, the woman listened. She saw that the fruit looked good. Lust of the flesh. She was hungry. She heard what he was saying, these promises, you'll be like God, you know, pride of life. And she saw that it looked good to her. That's the lust of the eyes. And she ate of it, and then she gave to her husband who was with her. She came into agreement with what Lucifer was saying. And her husband came into agreement with her. How many knows they came into agreement with the wrong thing? Also, let me give you some examples. Some people come into agreement. You better be careful about what I'm about to tell you. They come into agreement, maybe with doctors, and I know that they're doing what they you know, have trained to do, and they're told they need to give the absolute worst prognosis possible to cover themselves, I guess, from lawsuits. But many times, people will come into agreement, a doctor or somebody will tell them, Something so negative, such a negative diagnosis, such a negative prognosis of what's going to happen. And they come into agreement with that. They accept it and they begin to speak it out of their mouths. And they're coming to agreement with something where if they would go ask God about it, I guarantee you that God would say something entirely different. People come into agreement with family strongholds. You see generational curses, you see family bondages that traffic down family lines where maybe their whole life they were poor and mom would always tell them, you know, we never really had much of anything, but we got each other. And they heard that their whole life. You know, your grandparents didn't have anything, we don't. I'm sure you won't either, but hey, you know, we got each other. And, and they live with this poverty mentality. And sure enough, when they get older, instead of bucking up against that and saying, you, you know what, now I'm a Christian, and Jesus paid for these curses to be broken. And, you know, he wants me to prosper. And there's a lot of scriptures to back that up, by the way. And so I don't agree with that anymore. I'm going to walk in prosperity and victory. I'm not going to walk in poverty and defeat. And they begin to have a different mindset. And instead of doing that, they actually come into agreement with that. And this could go on and on. I mean, you name it. Any type of sinful activity, 
they look at that and they think, well, like father, like son, or, you know, my dad was an alcoholic, so I will be, or whatever. And they come into agreement with these mentalities. And it's the lie of the devil. Because once you accept Christ as your Savior, you can sever any generational ties. And you can be free. People need to be careful about coming into agreement with laws that are passed that are against God's word. I don't think people really realize how serious of an offense it is before God to shed innocent blood. I'm going to tell you something. I I love everybody and there's forgiveness in Christ. But the people that are involved with killing these babies, they call it abortion and they make it illegal in this land as far as the laws of the land. I promise you that there's a lot of judgment associated with that. And one of these days, if they don't repent, obviously hell will be waiting for them. Because God, the Bible's clear. Murders are not going to be in heaven. Hello? And we love them, and they can be forgiven in Christ. I don't mean it's a condemnation. I'm, that's just a fact. And so people need to be careful that you're not coming into agreement with laws of the land that, that are against God. They can, they can, you know, make legal things like homosexual marriage they can make a lot of things legal if they want to that's their choice but it doesn't mean that i'm going to come into agreement with them you better be careful also with some of the things that's out there um in the entertainment realm and and i I look at you know back years ago you know maybe when my parents were growing up things were a certain way but man down through the years the entertainment industry has really gotten some dark elements and um, I, you know, it's okay for me just to say it like it is with you guys, right? So, you know, you look at things like, uh, I know Madonna performed at the Super Bowl, and it's not just some concert, man. There, there is an occult element. How many guys can see that for yourself? I mean, you, you would agree. There is an occult element. And the same thing I've seen with Katy Perry, and here we got uh, Lady Gaga about to perform in this Super Bowl, but there's something weird there. there there's a spirit. And, and it's almost like a satanic ritual put to music. It's, it's bizarre. And anybody that has discernment can, can sense that there's something off about it. And you need to be careful because I understand that a genuine Christian that loves the Lord and lives right is under the blood. And you may see some things in passing. But when people are really engaging in this and they're participating and they're coming to agreement with them, it can affect them spiritually. You need to be careful what you're coming into agreement with and what you're letting your children come into agreement with, okay? So whether what type of entertainment it is, just be careful. Also, counterfeit revelation. This is a big one. <clears throat> there are certain people in the body of Christ that, that have like a, a Jezebel spirit or something like that about them, and they get revelation, but it's not from the Lord. It, it is from a demonic source. It's really like a python spirit. And these people, there's no doubt about this revelation. We can all conclude that, especially if it's Jezebel, that the main prophecy they're going to have is going to be something negative about the male authority figure. Hello? Whoever that is, her husband, the pastor, whoever it is, they're going to get a, a download of really negative, critical type of information from a dark spirit against them to try to discredit them and tear them down and it's counterfeit it's satanic and these type of people will give words but there's there's like a curse associated with it and somebody tries to come up and give and i've told them these certain types of people i've run into them i deal with them sometimes but i don't want to hear it I don't come into agreement with those Jezebel curses. I do not come into agreement with their false prophecies. I am not going to accept that, man. And I don't receive it. I don't want it in my home. And I don't want it in this church. And they really tend to get very upset about my stance on that. But I am not going to receive a false spirit. Another thing, and if you do, if people do come into agreement with these things, you don't realize how bad that can affect you and your family in this church as a leader, what type of spirit it can allow into this church. You have no idea how utterly horrible it really can be when people start coming to agreement with dark spirits. Also, the spirit of this present world, using Paul's words exactly, it concerns me because I see that there's churches out there now that are really in agreement with a lot of worldliness. It's now the thing 
you know, for um, a lot of women to dress really provocative and seductive. And, uh, you know, they'll show cleavage and they'll uh, wear different types of things that, that would cause lust to church. And nobody seems to care. And it became a thing a while back with the, uh, you know, tattoos and piercings and all these different things. And, I mean, I could go on and on, but there's, there's all kinds of worldliness. There's churches that will, um, in, in board meetings, will break out beer and pass it around and have a board meeting. Um, you see what I'm saying? They're coming into agreement with the spirit of this world. And also, along those lines, you're dealing with churches also that will accept things into their pulpit. Listen, when you're dealing with a church that will have in somebody that's maybe like a psychic to come preach, and this does happen, you're allowing something into that church. You're coming into agreement with something that's very evil. There's churches that have yoga, and they'll have that in the church. They're coming into agreement with something that's dark. There's churches also that will embrace things like Islam and other religions, and they'll say, well, you know, we all just have different paths to God, and and they'll embrace that, but they're embracing something that is dark. The Lord said that he is the way and the truth and the life, and he's the only one that you're going to be able to get to heaven through. And so all this other nonsense is just of the world, and it's of the devil. And But churches are coming into agreement with it. Also, things that divide. This is what I was talking about earlier, and I told you that I would come back to it. You better be careful to not come into agreement with somebody else's offense. I heard this lady one time, she was telling me that she was sitting in a booth and she knew this young lady. She knew her, she knew that she was a rebel and a troublemaker. And she heard her back behind her at this restaurant, running down the church, running down the preacher to somebody that was giving her a listening ear. And she knew this young lady. And she knew how she was. And she knew that if that person knew the truth, actually... She was the problem. You know, and it should be a big red flag to everybody here. If somebody comes to you and they're running down preachers and they're running down churches and they're, they're, they're um, gossiping about others, shouldn't that be a big red flag to all of us that beep, 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 something's wrong here, man? Why are you going around doing this? If you have a problem, why don't you do what the Bible says and go talk to them about it and work it out between the two of you? And if you can't work it out, why don't you just move on in peace and forgive them and let it go? Well, this is better than the amen going on. Come on now. But things that divide God's people and the religious witchcraft in this region, man, I tell you, it has been something in this region. But you know what? I believe that God is breaking through as we pray. Amen? Great revival is on the horizon. I want you to think about agreement for a second. It was interesting because Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, God said, let my people go. All of us are going to go out with the women and children. All of us are going to leave. We're going to go celebrate a feast unto our Lord. And Pharaoh said, nope. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll let the men go, but the women and children stay back. And Moses said, I don't think so. And he said, all right, well, all of you can go, but your cattle and livestock, all that's going to stay back. And he said, no, all of us are going, and our cattle and livestock, everything's going. If Moses had at any time come into agreement with Pharaoh, y'all hear me, this is important. If at any time Moses had said, okay, you know what, let's come to a compromise. You're going to let the men go. All right, let's just do that. The men go. Would you think the men are going to stay gone? No. They're going to want to come back for their wives and children. And when they enter Egypt's border, you can get, be guaranteed that Pharaoh is going to make it absolutely impossible for them to get back out again. You cannot come into agreement. I'm trying to show you something like a metaphor here. You cannot compromise with the devil. I don't care what it is. And some people, it's weird. There's people out there who don't like preaching like this. But that's okay. I don't care. But here's the thing, if people come into agreement with the devil on any level, I promise you, just like what I showed you with Moses, they're, they're never going to break completely free. The devil's always going to have something in their life until they decide that they are going to completely sever all ties with what's not of God, and they're going to allow the Lord to put his sword through them, that they're totally crucified with him, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ through me, and I am totally sold out to the Lord. Well, here's another thing. I want to get to this before I close. 
Be careful to not come into agreement with doubt, fear, and unbelief. Because I really believe that God has some incredible things for River of Life in the future. You know, we've seen a lot of people come and go. We may, we may still see that. I don't know. But bottom line is, there's a destiny for this ministry. And whenever you look at those that possess promised lands and take the head off giants and those that do great exploits, you're not looking at people in the Bible that were full of doubt or fear or unbelief. Uh, let me talk about unbelief for a moment because that's very severe. Unbelief is when there is insurmountable evidence that God is at work, but people just refuse. They're just not going to believe no matter what happens. No matter what miracle takes place in front of them, no matter what happens, they are just not going to believe. And that's scary because Jesus was rebuking some cities. And he says, woe to you, Capernaum and others. He said, "Um, will you not be brought down to hell? He said, if the miracles that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Unbelief is where God has given evidence. Because Jesus was performing signs and wonders. There is evidence that God is at work. But the people refuse to believe. All right, that's unbelief. And unbelief is very serious. It will send people to hell. All right, fear is where like Peter, he was looking at the waves and he was afraid and he ended up sinking, but the Lord helped him. But God wants us to learn how to break free from fear. But doubt, doubt is something that God also will work with. But doubt would be like Thomas. I won't believe it till I touch his wounds, until I see him with my eyes. That's a lot of people. I will not believe until I feel it and until I handle it, till I see it, but that's not faith. Faith is believing before. Oh, here's an interesting one. Mark eleven twenty. When they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered. Now, this was the fig tree Jesus had previously cursed. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So they passed by the fig tree and it was dried up from the roots, you know. And Peter remembered, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered him, saying, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe you have received them. Everybody say, believe you have received them. All right, and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, now here's the Lord saying, but now if there's issues, you need to deal with your issues right here. When you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who's in heaven will also forgive you for your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your transgressions. So there's got to be a faith that believes even though you don't see or you don't feel it in the natural. I'm going to give you a story that perfectly illustrates this. There was a man of God who became a great preacher. But he, when he was young, he began to read this scripture, and God began to really deal with his heart about having faith. Even though you don't feel it, even though you don't see it, I'm still going to believe because why the Bible says so. I'm not going to have faith necessarily in people. I'm not going to necessarily have faith in churches. My faith is going to be in the Lord and in his word. I'm going to tell you, once people get faith in God's word, they become unshakable. But a lot of people don't have that. So they go through a lot of things that's unnecessary. So anyway, he had, read, he had, had something weird happen to him. He was young, but I don't believe it was a stroke. But something happened where his face began to droop and he began to have some health problems and he didn't know what was going on. I mean, he was really young. And he was reading in the Bible and the Bible says in James that if you go to church and the elders will anoint you with oil and pray over you that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now here's the point. He goes to a pastor he knows at a church and this church does not do that. They're not really against it, but they just don't do it. They don't anoint people. They don't pray for healing Um, they don't necessarily disbelieve, but they don't really believe either. They just don't do it. And so he comes there to his pastor and he says, listen, after church tonight, you're going to teach and all that. 
But I, and this was a, like a Wednesday night, so there wasn't like some you know great revival service. It's just like you know they back then they played a few songs of piano. The pastor did a little sermon. They go home, you know. And he says, "I want you to anoint me with oil and pray for me." And the pastor says, "But you know we don't really do that." And he said, "I don't care." He says, "This is my church." And God said in his word that if you do it, he'll heal me. And I believe his word. I just want you just to do it. He said, I don't know if, if you're going to believe. That's okay. I don't know. And this, is, this really happened. Some people probably read this story and can verify this. Okay. But he, this, this guy said, I don't know if you're fully going to believe or not. And I don't know whether the church, you know, what, what the church, that doesn't really matter. I believe. And he said, I want you to anoint me and pray for me. And I'm going to believe I receive it right then. And the pastor said, all right, man, I mean, it's up to you. If you want to do it, hey, that's great. So afterward, he, he was a real nice guy. You know, he just was just new to him. He didn't know. And so he goes up there. He anoints him with oil. He prays for him. And seemingly, there was nothing. There was no fireworks. There was no anointing. There was nothing. And, and here he is. This young man says, I believe I receive it. Thank you for praying and walks out. Now, he has friends that are looking at his face, you know, and they're like, man, we don't know if anything happened. He said, whatever, I got prayer. The Bible said, I believe God's word. And his friends are looking at his face going, yeah, but it still looks the same. They're poking his face, you know. I don't know, man. And he's like, leave me alone. I believe. And so, listen, here's, and so he goes home, and in the natural, nothing changed. His face looked the same. He didn't feel any different, but he just believed God's word. Everybody say, believe God's word. He believed it for himself. And so the next couple days, his face started changing and went back totally normal, was completely recovered. And the whole time, his friends, you know, are poking his face. I don't know, man. But here's the thing. The pastor, he did not have his faith in that pastor. He did not have his faith in the church. He had his faith anchored in the word of God. And you weren't going to sway him from it. He believed God's word. I look for the day, and I mean this with everything in me. I look for the day when people run to God's house when problems come up. Not because they have faith in the house of God per se. But they really, really, truly believe God's word. For real. And they believe that when they come to church and they pray and they get prayer. Maybe anointed with oil or they get hands laid on them. They believe that they're going to get their breakthrough. See, that is a faith. And you can tell the big difference when you do altar ministry when you're praying for people. Is there some people you're going through and praying and they, and they expect, and you can feel it's just a flow, an explosion of power in others, so they really don't believe. God can still touch people. He works with doubt, but it's not the same. They're not going to believe until they feel different. They're like Thomas. Is this making sense? So when we pray about things, this doesn't matter if it's healing, if it's financial, whatever it is, when you pray about things, you're praying for your loved ones to be saved. Whatever it is you're praying for, the Bible says that if you will pray and you will believe that you received it, it will be done. So you have to believe. Let me give you an example. So Daniel was praying. Everybody remember the story of Daniel? And he goes on this. He starts praying, and then he goes on a 21-day fast because he didn't see anything. But he's really praying. 21 days later, Gabriel shows up. How many have read this before? Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel tells Daniel what? He says, on the first day you prayed, I was sent... I heard your prayer on day, or God heard your prayer on day one. But he said, I got into the second heaven area, and the prince of Persia began to resist me for 21 days until God sent Michael, the prince of Israel, your prince, to come and take care of that and clear the way so I could get to you. Down through the years, you have to be willing to be persecuted for different truths. <laughs> And you've got to be willing to preach the truth about faith too. But the thing about faith is this. God said if you pray and believe, you'll have it. Nobody's going to tell me any different. I don't care what they say. See, people make doctrines out of their experience. 
I remember preaching one time along these lines of faith, and there was a guy that was really irritated with me. Because why? Because a long time ago, he had prayed for somebody. They didn't get healed or whatever, so he just doesn't believe in it. He's making doctrine out of a bad experience. So the Bible says, you know, let me give another example. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for sin, sickness, and people to be delivered in all of it at the same time. We all know that. So if somebody was to come to you, and they were to say, I know that you're a Christian, and I want to give my life to Jesus. I want him to forgive my sins. And they were sincere. Would you say to them, well, we'll pray about it and, and see, we'll see if God's willing to forgive you. And maybe possibly, if he's in a good mood, you know, he might accept you. And again, he may not. I mean, this, we'll just have to take a shot. But let's pray together and see what happens. Or would you believe that it's God's will because Jesus paid for it? Which one would you go with? Okay, what about deliverance? There's somebody that's totally demonized. Let's say it's a young girl. She had come out of family that was involved in Satan worship or some weird thing. She shows up at church. She's demonized. Demons are manifested. She comes to you. She's desperate. I know you're a Christian. I know that you'll pray. I want Jesus to deliver me. Would you say to her, pat her on the head? Well... You know, we can try. We'll pray. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. I don't know. But we'll, we'll just pray and see what happens. Of course not. You would believe that it's God's will to see that little girl deliver from demonic torment. Does anybody have a problem with that? I don't. And so in the same way, if Jesus paid for sin, and he paid for sickness, and he paid for people to be delivered, all this was paid for at Calvary in full then why do people have that type of weird mentality about healing? Well, maybe. Maybe he'll do it. Has anybody ever thought of it that way before? Now, I'm going to tell you something else. The Bible says when you pray, believe, you'll have it. So there's none of this stuff like, well, we prayed, but nothing happened, so I guess God didn't want to do it. Or maybe nothing. Maybe God didn't do it. It's not like that. It's like when Daniel prayed. Whenever you pray and you believe, things are set in motion. You need to keep believing God from that point. It may take days, it may take months, it may take years before you see the fullness of it, but the day you prayed, God heard your prayer. Is this making sense to anybody? When you pray, believe, and then you're working out that. You're saying, Lord, we've already prayed about this. I thank you that something is happening. You're moving in this area. I don't see all the change in the natural yet, but I know that you're at work. And so it's important that you believe, you receive it in your heart, but also the Bible says that you speak to the mountain. You keep speaking over these things, the Word of God. You believe in your heart, but you keep speaking to the mountain. In fact, it says speak to the mountain three times, and it says believe once, if you read it in the King James. You're going to have to speak three times more than you believe, because your words have a lot of power. And when Reinhard Bonnke said, when God's words are in my mouth, it's just as powerful as God's words in his mouth because it's still God's word. The Bible says about Abraham that he called those things that were not as though they were. Abraham believed God. He, whenever God said, I'll make you the father of many nations, you know, a lot of people, once they left and they were out in the wilderness for a couple weeks... It wouldn't take years, weeks with a lot of people. They think, well, you know, I guess God's not going to do it. He said he was, but I don't know. And they start marching back to their dad's house. But Abraham believed God, and he called those things that are not as though they were. He spoke to that mountain. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to, or without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to have faith. And so it is by faith that we possess the promises. Why does it take so long sometimes? Well, I don't know. I believe there's a lot of spiritual warfare, just like Daniel. On the day we prayed, God heard it, and things were set in motion, but the devil's trying to resist it. What would have happened if Daniel gave up along the way? Well, I guess God didn't hear my prayer. Listen, I'm, I'm saying this with love and respect, but to me, 
that mentality of a Christian saying, well, I guess God didn't hear my prayer is a very unbiblical view. How dare we say that? How dare we misrepresent him like that? Of course he hears our prayers because he said he would. I think many times Christians don't mean to, but they misrepresent him as being an uncaring God that doesn't listen to our prayers. They misrepresent him many times as somebody that won't answer. The very things that he promised to do, the very things that were laid on Christ at Calvary, but they say, well, he's not going to do it. They're misrepresenting him. And they're making him look like he's mean and uncaring, and he's not. He is a loving God, and he cares. And the Bible says that he will listen to our prayers. In fact, there's promises like cast your cares upon him because he cares for us. So whenever we pray and we believe God, God sets things in motion, but we have to believe that. And as we're walking, we keep speaking the word of God, and we keep laying hold of that every day. And as we keep speaking, keep believing, our lives are lining up with it. Sometimes it can come quick. Other times it can take a long time to get the breakthrough. Sometimes God has to deal with hidden sin in people. He's got to deal with unforgiveness of the heart. Sometimes there's generational bondages. Sometimes there's just straight up spiritual warfare against what God is wanting to do. And you've got to be somebody that's going to plow all the way through to the victory. God told Abraham, go and I'll do this. Abraham believed him the whole way for 25 years. Nobody in here has waited that long for something. For 25 years until he's bouncing a baby boy in his lap. Whereas the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea and it was only nine months. They were standing at the Jordan and they said, we don't believe. God said, we'll give you this land, but hey, there's giants in there. And we're just like grasshoppers. There ain't no way God can do this. And they just saw him cripple Egypt. But they said, there's no way. And they did not believe. And so God turned them back around the wilderness. And they did not inherit the promise. I long for the day when people's faith will draw on that anointing. When people come hungry. You know what God responds to? He responds to humility. He responds to hunger. And he responds to faith. If people would be humble before the Lord and they would come hungry before him and there was an expectancy that whenever they come to church and they get prayer, they believe. I don't have to feel anything different. I don't have to see anything different. The Bible says it. I believe it. All right. This is what I want to close with. Repentance leads to life. So I talked about earlier about the six things God hates. I talked about a lot of the warring that goes on among God's people. God is wanting us to humble ourselves and make sure everything is right with him. As we're going into revival, in the days to come, as things break open, what God's going to do, we need to have a repentant heart. The Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. And it's sad because repentance leads to life. But it's sad that many places now refuse to preach a message of repentance. When I was growing up, it was so common that people would preach. They would say, okay, you know, come to the altar or make an altar where you're at and pray through. Get, make sure everything's right with God. It happened all the time. And now there's none of that in a lot of places. And so therefore people remain in bondage. They're never really totally free. But repentance, if you read David's Psalms 51, David had had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, and we know the story. But listen to these things real quick. Here's what we can learn from David. Number one, we must fully accept our guilt. If we've sinned before the Lord, David said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is before you. He didn't deny it. He didn't blame shift. He didn't say what somebody else's fault He accepted it. This is my problem. Number two, we must acknowledge that we've offended God. Against you, O Lord, have I sinned and done what's evil. 
Number three, we must declare that God is completely blameless. A lot of people try to blame God for their problems. Number four, we must renounce all claims to our own righteousness. The Bible says our righteousness is his filthy rags. But here David says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And the next one, we must commit ourselves to abandon sin and pursue the Lord. Now, this is where a lot of people, this is the difference between just saying I'm sorry and repentance. David was really humble. David humbled himself and he confessed his sin, but David repented. We do not read of another time that David committed adultery or another time he had anybody murdered. He really repented of what he did. He didn't do it again. We must commit ourselves that we're going to turn away from the sin and pursue the Lord. The next one is we must deeply humble ourselves before our maker. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. And then the last one, we must ask for and accept mercy. It's important that we pray with faith. Here's where a lot of people, this faith issue goes into every area. A lot of people will pray about sin and because they don't feel good, they'll say, they'll keep praying, Lord, forgive me. Uh, Lord, please forgive me. If they would ever get to the point of saying, the Bible says, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So Lord, I've confessed it. I really repent. I believe I receive your forgiveness. Now the matter's closed. And they mean it. They're sincere, they're humble, but they mean it. And they accept it by faith. Then they're going to feel different after that. The reason why a lot of people don't experience the freedom and the breakthrough is because they keep praying, but they're not believing. And they're going like the children of Israel in the desert. They're just going in a circle. True repentance will bring life and freedom. So let me close with this scripture in Isaiah 58. How many want to live in perpetual revival? Man, I do. All right, this is how you can have perpetual revival right here. I just talked about repentance. If there's something in our lives that's not right, something we can see the Lord's dealing with us about, let the Lord really clean that out. True repentance, that there's a deep consecration. There's such freedom in that. And here's Isaiah 58. Behold, you fast for contention and strife. So God is saying this is why you're praying and you're fasting, but you're not seeing answers right here. You pray and fast and strike each other with a fist. He's saying you're praying and fasting, but here you are fighting one with another. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose? A day for a man to humble himself. God responds to humility. A day for bowing one's head like a reed and spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed. Will you call this a fast, even acceptable day to the Lord? Is not the fast which I choose to loosen bands of wickedness and undo the yoke and let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? That really has to do with the way people are treated. He goes on to say, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? So when you pray... There's something about giving above your tithe to the poor. There's something about regarding the poor and feeding the hungry that is so pleasing to the Lord. To bring the homeless into your house when you see somebody naked, cover them. And that's what you guys are doing when you're giving finances above your tithe to go to the poor. These are the exact things that it's going toward. He said, if you'll do this, if you'll pray fast and give, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your recovery speedily spring forth. Your righteousness go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry and he'll say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, meaning mistreating other people. The pointing of the finger where you're judging and criticizing. You know why a lot of churches, we just read, we just read about that war. People trying to destroy each other. They're, they're gossiping and fighting inside the church. They want to destroy the church over here, tear them down, and try to steal their members. And here they are fighting. 
They're pointing the finger, being critical and judgmental of others. These are the very things in this passage that God is saying, if you'll repent of that, then you'll have your answers. If you remove the yoke from your midst, quit mistreating people, the pointing of the finger, quit judging people and being critical and blaming others, speaking wickedness, that you'll quit with the gossiping. And if you'll give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the the desire of the afflicted, if you'll care about the poor, then your light will rise in darkness, your gloom become like the midday, and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in sun-scorched places. He will give strength to your bones. And you'll be like a well-watered garden whose springs of water do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild ancient ruins and raise up age-old foundations. You'll be called to repair the breach, to restore streets to dwell in. So this is what I'm, I'm preaching on because we're going to be doing a fast here in March. But if all of us collectively will humble ourselves before the Lord and we'll let the Lord uh, convict us and deal with anything in our lives that's not right and and really repent and let him cleanse our lives and we'll come together and unify and we'll pray and we'll fast and people will give and obviously some of these offerings go out to the the poor the afflicted man it is powerful and here's the last scripture i want to read i don't think it's in your notes but psalm 17 be good to do a study like an outworking of this sermon David says, hear a just cause, O Lord, give heed to my cry, give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. So David's saying, you hear my prayers, but it's because I've repented and got things right, right? He says, let my judgment come before your presence. Let your eyes look with equity. You have tried my heart. You visited me in the night. You've tested me and found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. I'm not going to go around gossiping. I'm not going to try to destroy other people. As for the deeds of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept the paths, my paths from the violence. My steps have held fast to your path. I'm on the path of righteousness. I'm not living in a path with wicked people. My feet have not slipped. I have called upon you, and you answer me, O God. Incline your ears to me. Hear my speech. Wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed their unfeeling heart. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set up their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear and a young lion lurking in hiding places. So he's under major attack. David's saying, Lord... I have repented. I've made sure things are right with you. And now I'm under severe spiritual warfare. There are people that are seeking my life. And he says in verse 13, Arise, O Lord. Confront him. Bring him down. Deliver me from the wicked sword. For men with your hand, O Lord, for men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with your treasure, they are satisfied with you and leave their abundance to their babes. As for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. David had a heart. He's saying, look, these people of this world, they just live for this world. They're happy with their money. He said, as for me, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to be in your presence. But David prayed. He said, Lord, I know that I've repented. I know things are right with you. And when spiritual warfare comes, I can cry out to you and say, Arise, O Lord, deliver me. And God will do it. All right, I want to go ahead and shut down recordings tonight. I want us just to pray. We're going to, we're going to pray for people who want prayer. As a matter of fact, if you could just play that.